We now mob out our way, we'd be horrified if all our kids were running around the stage and all sorts of things while the service was on. But to see that this morning, it was a real blessing. Friends, in 1991, a report into Aboriginal deaths in custody was handed down by the then Commissioner appointed to oversee the Royal Commission into why Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were dying in custody. The handing down of this report marked the formal beginnings of the process of reconciliation in this country. The Royal Commission recommended that all political leaders and their parties recognise that reconciliation between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and other Australians must be achieved if the community divisions, discord and injustices to Indigenous Australians were to be avoided. Soon after, the Commonwealth Parliament voted unanimously to establish a Council for Aboriginal Reconciliation, as if Aboriginal people were the only ones that needed to be reconciled. And they were given the task of promoting reconciliation between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people and the wider Australian community. One of the first events that uh, was staged by the Council was a Walk for Reconciliation. Some of you guys will remember that. It took place on the 28th of May 2000. More than 300,000 people made the walk across the Sydney Arbour Bridge in support of reconciliation. You remember that? It was a big event. Um, 14 years down the track and we need to ask the question, what have we achieved? Over 14 years of trying to address the issue of a divided country, what have we achieved? And I want to suggest very little and I want to try and explain why I believe we haven't, or we, yeah, we haven't achieved much. Firstly, the process of reconciliation, as outlined by the Council for Reconciliation, has human involvement. People are saying, if you do this for me and we do that for you, then we can be one. The problem with this is we are trying to work out what one group of people says that's needed in order to appease the other. It is impossible to come up with an agreed response to what is required because people have different needs and different wants. A walk across a bridge, whilst this is good to see a lot of people involved in that, is never going to cut it, never going to bring about unity and oneness. They will never achieve, they will never achieve the desired outcome. Now there is nothing wrong with working towards reconciliation and I, you know, I think we all should be involved in it in, in one, one way, shape or form. But it's a difficult task because people are involved and we're dealing with personalities and that, my friend, is the issue. In our text this morning, we have what I believe to be the prescription for a reconciliation that works. And it doesn't come from a walk over the bridge, doesn't come from two parties sitting down and discussing how they can be one. It doesn't involve a council saying what will and what won't work for bringing people together as one. I believe that the Bible is the only source of true reconciliation that exists today. Why? Because it totally removes the human element out of the equation. As we are reconciled to God, then we become members of his family and therefore we become one. 
What do you mean, you might ask? Well, let's take a look at what Paul has to say. And I want to read to you again from verses 18 through to 21. And this is what it says. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this morning we want to look at three things. Firstly, the master of reconciliation. Who is he? Or who is it? The means of reconciliation. How does it all work? And the ministry of reconciliation. So if there's nothing else that you remember today, remember these three words, the master, the means and the ministry. And before we do this, I want to make a couple of observations. And the first one is this, that all humanity outside of Christ is going to a lost eternity. Would you agree with that? They're going to a lost eternity, an eternity without God. And they're on the road to a Christless eternity. They are heading for an eternity without God. The sins of Adam have been passed on from generation to generation and therefore our people and people, or humanity is lost. How did this happen, you might ask? Well, remember back in the garden, Genesis 2, God created mankind, he placed him in the garden to take care of it. God, through his graciousness, told Adam and Eve that they could eat of any tree in the garden except the tree in the middle of the garden which is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For he says, In the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. Death happens in two ways, doesn't it? We all know that. There is physical death and there is spiritual death. When God says that they would surely die, he meant it. The moment that they partook of the fruit the forbidden fruit, they died spiritually. The fellowship that they enjoyed with God was severed. As a result, they were expelled from the garden and from God's presence. All the offspring from that time on were recipients of a sinful nature. You and I were recipients of that sinful or a sinful nature. But following spiritual death came physical death. The Bible teaches that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. As a result of Adam's sin in the garden, the whole of humanity would be born into sin. Everyone ever born with a sinful nature, and this is my friend, is spiritual death. Now statistics are correct, don't they? That one out of every one person will die. You believe that? I do. That is so true. And it was only yesterday, that I, or the Friday, that I took a funeral of a 56-year-old guy. And I had numerous occasions to share the gospel with this guy. And I could never, ever remember a time when he had confessed Christ, indicating that faith was present and therefore salvation was his. And it was a difficult funeral. And the reason why it was difficult because I had to find out in some way, I had to find some way 
to be able to comfort the family. And the only thing I could say to the family, apart from other things, that would be of comfort to them, was that his eternal destiny was God's business and not ours. Friends, the point that I want to make is this. As a result of Adam's sin in the garden, people outside of Christ are on a collision course with an eternity without God. Now, out of Broken Hill in Wilkenya, a lot of our people have been influenced by Catholic doctrine that says that if they do enough, go to church enough, read their Bibles enough, pray enough, give of their tithes and offerings, maybe it might, you know, kick the scales in their favour. Maybe that might help them win a few brownie points with God and therefore allow um, them to, to enter heaven at some stage. They don't think, they think that it's their sin that brings about a relationship or don't bring about a relationship but severs their relationship with God. It's interesting that in the garden it wasn't their sin at all, was it? It was their unbelief. They, un- they didn't believe that what God said would actually take place. So our people out there go to church religiously on, a re- on, on the odd occasion. But in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 to 21, Paul outlines what will work in making us right with God. And so what does he say? Well, he talks about, in verse 18, the first thing we should note is that God is the mastermind and he's the designer of reconciliation. He is the one who knows the beginning from end. Sorry about that. He is the one who is everywhere at all times. He is the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so those characteristics, He's able to not only design reconciliation, but he's also able to complete the work that needs to be done. And verse 18 says, all of this is from God. Reconciliation is God's plan. Reconciliation is God's work. He holds the copyright to this plan. He has patented it. And no one can change it. People down through the years, you would know, have tried to change and distorted the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that there is no clearer outline of the gospel than what's contained in these four verses. And so, the beginning of reconciliation starts with God. We are all told that it is from God. God designed it, he fashioned it, and we will find that he implemented it. The whole process of reconciliation is of God. What has mankind got to do with it? Nothing. What can you and I do to affect our salvation? Zip. There is not a thing. So if you're here this morning, based upon your religiosity, this is what Christian people do. We go to church. And if you're thinking that way and you're trusting in that to to bring about a relationship with God, forget it. It's not going to happen. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 says this. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But verse 8 in particular, note what it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You know, we talk about God so loving the world that he gave his only son. You know, the greatest expression of God's love was at Calvary where he gave of himself in Christ and went to Calvary and died a cruel death for you and I. He was paying the penalty for our sin. He was paying the penalty for our sin at the cross. And why did he do this? So that you and I could have a relationship with God. Friends, our salvation is entirely God's work. Did you know that not even the belief in the finished work of the cross of Christ is of us? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. You might say, but never what about verses like Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10? If we confess our mouth, uh, with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, the confession is a result of believing and not believing being a result of confession. We need to be careful we don't get the cart before the horse. Your confession is a result of your belief and not the other way around. It's not your belief resulting your confession. It's, it's your belief that results in your confession. And we need to make that quite clear. Verse 11 of Romans, 6, uh, Romans 5 says this, Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. So God is the designer of reconciliation. No one else. The human element has been removed. But what about the means of reconciliation? Well, how does it work? Well, it's through Christ. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. Colossians 1.19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Friends, what is the means of reconciliation? It's Christ's death on Calvary. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's what verse 19 of Colossians tells us. God gave of himself. Again, removing any human element in the process of reconciliation. He designed it, he planned it, and now we see him implementing it. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, do you get it? Christ died on Calvary not for his own sin but for the sins of those who will put their faith and trust in his finished work. Was Christ a sinner? No. Did Christ become a sinner? No. But he was punished for our sin. Paul says there that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. What does that mean? Well, it's an imputed thing. 
God's going to hold him responsible for all the things that we have done wrong. God placed his sin, our sin, upon him. That's what the escape gate was all about in the Old Testament. If we read Leviticus chapter 16, Aaron the high priest on the day of atonement would lay his hand on the head of a goat and confess the sins of Israel. The sins of the people were placed on it and then let go into the wilderness. The poor goat, did he do anything wrong? Not at all. Jesus did nothing wrong. It was our sin that brought about Jesus' demise. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Now you might be sitting here thinking this morning, wait a second, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not that bad of a person. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says for the wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who died for sin? Christ. Who died that we might have life and have it more abundantly? Christ. Friends, the difference between the two groups of people in our churches today, and there are two groups of people in our churches, there are sinners and there are saved sinners. There's no one perfect in our churches. There are those who have said, yes, Lord, I respond to your call upon my life. And I believe in the finished work of the cross of Christ. I believe that Jesus died and paid the penalty for my sin. And I confess that I have been found wanting. Friends, that brings us to our third point, the ministry of reconciliation. God is the master or the designer of reconciliation. Jesus Christ is the means by which reconciliation can happen. And thirdly, the ministry of reconciliation. Whose job is it to tell people about Jesus? Is it Bruce's job? Yeah, of course it is. You're paying good money. You've got to, be, you've got to do something to earn his money. Is it the children's worker who was up in the Of course it is. He gets paid good money as well. But friends, it's everyone's responsibility to get involved in the ministry of reconciliation. When Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and talks about reconciliation, he says that if you've been reconciled to God, then you have a responsibility to get out there in the highways and byways and share your faith with other people. It's our responsibility to tell people about the love of God and that how they can have a relationship with God. You know, down through the years they've been trying to work out uh, little names that they could call Christians and, you know, one of those is we are evangelical and stuff and, you know, that's, that's got a little bit marred down through the years. Um, I reckon a good name would probably be we are reconcilers. I remember speaking at a Baptist church down in Adelaide once and as we were walking towards the door there's this big sign over the top of the door, you are now entering the mission field. What a great sign. Reminding people that the moment they step out of that door they have a responsibility 
in sharing the gospel with others. So what is Bruce's role in, in the life of the church? I want to tell you what it is. He might not agree with me, but I'm going to tell you what it is. Ephesians 4.11, he says, So Christ, gave, gave, Christ himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. What for? Verse 12. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's his job. His job is to train you, to build you up in order that you might go out there and tell people to learn how to share your faith with others. That's what their jobs are. And I trust this morning that as your children's worker got up here and said, I need help. I trust that there are people in this congregation who say, yep, here am I, Lord, use me. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. We need to be helping one another. Did you know there's only two things you're not going to be able to do in heaven? You might say, two things, what are they? Well, the first one is sin. There's going to be no sin in heaven, so that's not going to be possible. And the second thing is that you won't be able to share the gospel because everyone that will be there will already be saved. So therefore, we should be out and about whilst we occupy this body to share the gospel with other people. And we shouldn't shirk our responsibilities like some did or tried to do in the Old Testament. Moses was one of them, didn't he? Here am I, Lord, but send my brother Aaron. I can't speak. He's a much better communicator than me. And we'll come up with all sorts of excuses and reasons why we can't get involved in ministry. I'm too busy. I've got too much on my plate. You know? If I do that, then something else has got to suffer. I'm struggling with some of these things with my own children back at Broken Hill. And I was only sharing with Bruce this morning. I've got a young lad who plays basketball, and he plays basketball very well. But he's trying to work out in terms of how much basketball he should be playing and how much time he should be given to the life of the church. At the moment, he does very little. And so him and I have had some intense moments of fellowship. I can tell you that. But it's been good. So friends, in closing this morning, I want to say a couple of things. Firstly, the wonderful thing about being reconciled to God is that we are one. We are reconciled to God, but we're also reconciled to one another. So whether you like it or not, this big black man standing up the front here is your brother. Okay? So when you go out that door, I want you guys to call me Brother Neville. And I'll do the same, because that's what we are. We're children of God. And therefore we are one. And that's the reason why this reconciliation is the only one that works. It removes the human element. We are family, whether you like it or not. You can choose, pick and choose you can pick and choose your friends, but you can't pick and choose your family. That's God's business. Secondly, it is not what you do for me or what I do for you that makes us one. It's what Christ has done for both of us. Would you agree with that? Yeah, too right. It's what he has done for both of us. That's why it works. That's why it works. Thirdly, who believes that people outside of Christ are on, the, on a collision course with hell or going to a lost eternity? Who believes it? Yeah, it's good to see after your congregation does, brother. Um, you've got a bit of work to do there. 
But people are on a collision course to a lost eternity without Christ and without God. And I suppose that's the reason why we don't get involved in ministry is because we don't believe it. I can remember an elderly missionary friend of mine. He said to me one time, he says, Neville, he says, you know why people don't get out and share their faith with others? Because they don't truly believe that God exists. They'll go along to church, they'll be all religious and you know, holy huddled and Christian cuddled and all that sort of stuff. But they don't truly believe that God exists and they don't truly believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sin and therefore has a relationship with God. And he says they don't believe that, that a place of eternal torment and a place of eternal, um, eternity without God exists. That's the reason why people are not out there sharing their faith with others. And you know what? I tend to believe him. I tend to believe him. There's no sense of urgency in the life of the church for people to go out and share the gospel. And you might say, well, Neville, I've been trying to do that. I don't know how to share the gospel. Friends, if you know that God has saved you and the reconciliation uh, has taken place in your own life, then you're able to tell other people about that. You're able to tell other people about that. Don't try and push away your responsibilities. I want to close this morning with this one last verse. And it's found in Proverbs Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11. And listen to what it says. Listen carefully to what it says. It says, Rescue those being led away to death. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Now is the day of salvation. We're not promised day tomorrow. We're not promised our next breath. We could walk out of these doors and that our life can be taken from us, just like that. So it says, Rescue those who are led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. Do you know of anyone like that? Yeah. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he guard, he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay every one according to what they have done? Friend, God knows our weaknesses. He knows our shortcomings. He knows what we can and what we can't do. And if we're using excuses why we shouldn't do what we know we should be doing. It's a sin of omission. And we need to set the record straight. We need to use the old Nike cliche. What does it say? Just do it. And where we, are, where we fall short in terms of sharing the gospel, when God will make up all the rest, it's he that's able to do that. And so I want to encourage you so that you get involved in every aspect of church life. You've been reconciled to God. See it as as a privilege and serve the Lord, not out of obligation that you want to achieve something because it will never work, but out of appreciation, hey, that you've already obtained it. That's the gospel and that's how we should be serving the Lord. Let me pray with you and then I'm going to hand it back over to Bruce. Father, again, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Father, we confess that we haven't been doing what we know we should be at times. 
And so, Lord, we, we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that we are a privileged people. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and that you call us to yourself to represent you to a fallen and sick world. So be with us as we endeavour to do that. Help us to give, help us to have a fresh understanding of your work in our own lives, that we might help others to come to know you as their Lord and Saviour. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.